Kia ora. I'm Emile Donovan. Welcome to The Detail. And today we're talking some trash. Specifically, electronic trash. New Zealand produces around 90,000 tonnes of electronic waste every year. That's just under 20 kilograms for every person living here. We recycle less than 2% of that waste. And we're the only country in the OECD with no national coordinated e-waste recycling scheme. In a country that trades off its clean green image, why are we so slack about this? My name's Patrick Moynihan. I own a company called Computer Recycling and then uh, another company called E-Waste Solutions and PCB International. What's e-waste? <laughs> yeah, good question, eh? No, anything with a plug, like anything whatsoever electronic. Um, televisions, computers, hair dryers, toasters, uh, all that sort of stuff. What's different about it? What's different about e-waste compared to other types of waste that humans produce? So electronic waste is the fastest growing municipal waste stream. So although everything's getting smaller and things, the consumption of electronics is going up massively. It's also something that is pretty much the most hazardous substance in our landfills and in our waste streams because of what it's got in it, complex uh, materials, batteries, glass, leaded glass, complex compounds of plastics and these sorts of things. So it's a really dangerous waste stream, I guess. How dangerous are we talking? We know just the man to ask. Jeff Seedon, I'm a waste management expert at Auckland University of Technology. What we have there are these hazardous substances. So we've got heavy metals when if you don't dismantle it correctly then you can end up with these heavy metals getting into the environment. They can then be picked up by those dismantling it. They can be picked up into the soil, into the water, and back into the food chain. And we get results of um, that being um, blood uh, disorders. We get uh, liver disorders. We also get um, central nervous system damage. So you can get effects like the Minamata disease. And also children are often employed with uh, doing this sort of thing um, and their bodies are much smaller, so smaller amounts lead to higher concentrations of this in their bloodstream. I mentioned earlier that New Zealand barely recycles 2% of its e-waste every year, so what actually happens to it? majority of it is either, it's either not captured, the information isn't captured, so there's no laws or regulation as to what you do with the electronic waste in New Zealand, so there will be a higher percentage of that being recycled, and then the rest goes to landfill. What does going to landfill actually mean? So, like, um, there's a whole heap of aggregators right throughout New Zealand, which are, like, transfer stations. That'll get waste from all over the show, general public, commercial, that sort of stuff, and then those transfer stations then load trucks continuously, 24 hours a day, and then it takes it to larger landfills. So the majority of Auckland's waste goes to one in Hampton Downs. It's a big fill. So they've dug out a huge portion of land, lined it, and then everything is just pushed into there and then buried. And it just chills there forever. Forever, yeah. The thing is, like it or not, landfills are necessary. My grease-stained pie wrapper can't be recycled, not cost-efficiently anyway, and it has to go somewhere. So it gets buried in the ground. It's kind of the same argument, but on a smaller scale as plastics and things. Like plastics, you can bury a heap of plastics and it's not even that bad, like... If the landfill is lined and the landfill is contained properly and it's done to all the correct standards and regulatory standards and things, plastic isn't going to contaminate the landscape. But it's the same as electronic waste. 
if you bury e-waste in unregulated landfills and things, then you can have really nasty leachants through the batteries and all the contaminants in the plastics. That can get into groundwater, which then gets into wells, which then can be drunk by the population. So it's one of those things like if the world wanted to just landfill and wanted to do it right, like it's not actually going to directly affect someone, but it's not the right option morally. Mm. The other big thing with e-waste is like it doesn't need to go to landfill. There's a huge amount of recoverable rates from electronic waste. You know, we're a completely unsubsidised, unregulated industry, so we get no money from the government whatsoever, but we're still a very profitable enterprise by finding the right channels. Let's take my old iPhone 4S, yeah. which I got rid of about a year and a half ago. What would you do with it? Uh, well, it's still sitting at home, because yeah, yeah. I don't really know what to do with it. But the thing that I probably would have done if I hadn't thought about it is just throw it in the bin. Yeah. What happens to that phone if I just chuck it in the bin? So you'll have recycling. Auckland, for instance, I know it's different in other areas, but Auckland you'll have the red-lidded bin and the blue-lidded bin. Uh-huh. So red-lidded bin will be consolidated and will go to the landfills. As a country, we're not super advanced in pre-screening and um, separating out of the trash. Everything in the blue-lidded bin will go through a separation process and the plastics will be graded and things. But if you put your electronics in a blue lid or a red lid, it'll all end up in the tip. What happens if I give that phone to you? So that phone would be aggregated with a heap of other phones and then most likely we would either send it to Belgium where it goes to a, a large refinery where it's gas or shredded, gasified and then goes through a chemical smelting process to extract the minerals. Out of a cell phone you'll get ferrous metals, so your steel, you'll get gold, silver, palladium. Phones have quite complicated processing systems and things which means there's a lot of connectors which means there's a lot of precious metals. Mm-hmm. Um or we send it to Korea and it goes through the same same process. If that's the case, and we have well-run sanitary landfills here, why can't we just put all of our e-waste into landfill? We're not big enough to run our own recycling plants ourselves, and that means we have to be pragmatic, right? AUT's Jeff Seedon says, wrong. Well, in uh, terms of the earth resources, we're sucking them out at a great rate of um, material. We find that the the, uh, heavy metals and the precious metals that are required are in very short supply, and we're rapidly going through them. And so the idea of mining them and then processing them and then finally putting them into an appliance that you use for anything from 1 to 30 years and then discarding it to a landfill is an enormous waste. And in fact, uh, studies have shown that the amount of precious metals that are in landfills are at a higher concentration than in virgin mining. Is that right? So it's yes. it's a literal... Land- <laughs> EUA's landfills are literal gold mines. Literally, yes. <laughs> Up till now, we've been talking largely about cell phones. Now, the only way to recycle phones, as Patrick said, is to send them offshore to processing plants. But e-waste encompasses a broad church of products, washing machines, circuit boards, TVs, laptops, printers, and these can be recycled in New Zealand. So I went down to computer recycling in Onehunga. That's where the magic happens. So my name's Garrick. I'm the warehouse and logistics manager, so I do um, everything that comes in and everything that goes out. One of the things that people would like is 
electronic products that, that are easier to repair so that they can kind of do it themselves. But like yeah. when your when your iPhone kind of carks it or it's it's yeah. it's it's running out of battery yeah. after three hours, people don't have the nous, you know, they don't have no. the know how to no. figure out how it works. Well, like something for example we do here, like we're on our trade me store right now, we're running like a back to school sale because we understand like these days, you know, it's different from when I was a kid. You know, it's required to have like a laptop, and you know, I've talked to a few parents which come in here, and they've gone. You know, with the list of school, you know required technology to no limit, and they've tried or someone and they've tried to push like a two thousand dollar laptop on them, and we're like, well, we've got something that's got the same specs that your school says they require, and it's like one hundred fifty bucks, and and our, all our stuff comes with like a three to six month warranty, so it's like you know if it if it carks it within two months, you bring it home, bring it back, and the guys will suss it out. So. You know, that's something else that I tell as many people about as I can that come in. It's like, hey, well, don't don't go to one of the big chain stores and spend a ton of money. Come here, and it's a second hand. And a lot of the time, it's ex-office laptops. So these laptops have, you know, stand, they've stood the test of being carried around by someone in an office environment and taken to meetings and dropped and things like that. And they're still working. Like, a lot of the time, the especially ex-office stuff, it's they've upgraded, so the tech's still working. They're just like, well, we've got no use for it. Yeah. We've got the new, newer stuff that yeah. works minutely faster, yeah, so, yeah. so we'll just get rid of the old stuff. Oh, like um, we did a, um, last year, we did an office clear up for a company that uh, were downsizing, and we got, um, I think it was almost 400 um, LCD computer monitors. Yeah, and, and they were just like, um, and I believe we did actually, we might have actually paid a rebate for those, so we'll you know pay a bit of money sometimes just so that they're not coming out of it worse off because sometimes it's only three or four years old and they might have spent, you know, a quarter of a million dollars buying all this kit and we're like, well, we can offer you some money to, so it's, you know, because we... we Everyone's kind of happy. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and we sold those um, to another business that were actually setting up a new office. You know, and ah. we still make money on it. So it's like, um, you know, it's, it's like it boggles the mind to think, that a lot of the stuff used to it did used to just go on the tip because they didn't know what to do with it, and it would look, you know you're talking thousands of dollars of equipment that's still working. It was just going in bits, and we're like, wow. You might be asking yourself why New Zealand's e-waste recycling rates are so low. Remember, it's just 1,600 of the 80,000 or so tons of e-waste we produce every year. There's no laws, no regulation. Why not? We're just well behind, eh? So, I think. Everywhere apart from Western Australia, they've outright banned electronic waste from landfills. Um, and they also have product stewardship schemes and these sorts of things. Um, so it was on the agenda six to eight years ago or something like that to uh, introduce product stewardship. Just to interrupt here, product stewardship is where the manufacturer of a product has some responsibility for disposing of it at the end of its life. And do... Uh, what's it called, um, like associations and that sort of thing for electronic waste, but it was just backburned. Mm. Um, so I think it was Nick Smith or something like that, the the last environmental minister yeah. for um, the National Party. He kind of got the incentive rolling and then it was never carried on. It just kind of... Just died, yeah. Died on the vine. Yeah. Why? Uh, I don't, don't know. N- not enough external pressure, not enough of a collaborative approach by industry and that sort of thing. Um no one really leading the market as to what should be happening. Has the government, I mean, I, I was looking up some figures before, they reckon that they've invested something like $20 million in from the Waste Minimisation Fund over the past 10 years in terms of e-waste and electronic waste initiatives. I mean, is that is that a lot? 
It is. Um, they, they spent about 11 or $12 million on a program called TV Take Back, which was a um, great initiative, fantastic initiative, which was because we had so many of the Cafe Ray Tube, the big CRT TVs, mm. and they're real gnarly type things. They, they take a long time to dismantle. They've got leaded glass, so they are a big contaminant. But subsequently, the, the recycling partner underpriced the project and then went belly up with 540-foot containers full of CRT TVs throughout New Zealand. A lower hush recycling centre with 4,000 old TVs to get rid of is demanding to know what the government is going to do about the failed TV take-back scheme. Maurice Pickard from Earthlink says he's owed around $30,000 after the collapse of the company RCN E-Waste, which had a government contract to recycle TVs. RCN had been paid about $4.5 million when the scheme failed earlier this year. The serious fraud office is now investigating. That TV take-back scheme isn't the only one we've come up with. In the late 2000s, Spark, Vodafone and Two Degrees also got together to start collecting and recycling used cell phones. There were also isolated days for e-waste collection, like E-Day, a single day each year where people are invited to bring their e-waste to a bunch of locations around the country, though E-Day is no more. Up till 2018, these activities diverted about 800,000 electronic devices away from landfill, which sounds great, until you realise that during the same 10 years, 10 million new computers and TVs alone were sold in New Zealand. And this leads us to an inevitable question. How much of this is just down to unrestrained consumerism? Yeah, it fuels the beast. Hey? The consumption cycles are shortening continuously. To the point where I don't even know what will happen in 10 years. You know, like, I always go back to that thing. Everything's getting way smaller, but we're using so much more constantly. And, like, corporate refresh of electronics and that sort of thing is kind of every two to three years. But phones, for instance, you know, people swap out their phones every eight months sometimes. Yeah. (laughs) And it's about, like, we can continue to consume at a really quick pace if we've got good solutions as to how to deal with it. Like a, a computer, like a desktop computer, they're slowly being phased out, but you could pretty much get 98%, 99% recovery from that. Like it still takes a heap of carbon to produce it, obviously, with steel and copper and aluminium and all these sorts of metals that go into it, but it is really recyclable. So it'll be easier to deal with the electronic waste than try and curb people's consumerism. Patrick Moynihan would say that. After all, he literally makes money from the secondary electronic economy. But Jeff Seedon is singing from the same song sheet. We are constantly generating new devices, and therefore there is this demand for new devices to be uh, sold, and it keeps the, the whole circuit going around. We find that uh, there is, there used to be, every time you had... Uh, a new version of Microsoft Word, you had to buy a new computer, which was great for Microsoft. But then they uh, found out that people were against this. So now you can get several versions of uh, of programs before you need to upgrade. But there's this constant thing of the um, people wanting greater and greater computing power and um, better mobile phone um, usage. And so companies are responding to that. They're also creating a demand for it. One of the, not necessarily solutions, but one of the ways that you can restrict your, your, your sort of e-waste footprint, I suppose, is in repairing 
devices, and we're getting into sort of right to repair territory, which is which is really interesting. D- tell me a little bit about the right to repair movement and, and sort of the issues that are involved. The idea of the backyard repairer, you know, you, you take your um, computer out to your workshop and start uh, fiddling around with it is um, one that is not really going to catch on. The difficulty is these devices are extremely complex. And if you start fiddling with them, you need very specialised knowledge. So currently the idea is that these sorts of things um, can't be repaired at the micro level. But you know, if you break a screen, well, that seems to be repairable. So th- those sorts of things can happen from there. Um, if you're looking at the repair thing, then you're also looking at how to make them reusable and how to make them recyclable. We have um, photocopier companies who are actually able to do that. They can take their machines, they can put them into a facility, people use them, and they take the machine away at the end. So the idea of having a, um, a service contract rather than a product being sold is one that is starting to catch on. And it certainly would be something that can be used for our electronic goods. Why do we need to actually own it? Why not just rent it for a time? When it's out of date, send it back, the company deals with it. There is sort of almost a cycle of exploitation here in a sense, right? Apple comes up with an idea for a product. They outsource the manufacturing of that product to Bangladesh or whatever. Workers are earning $2 a day to sort of make it. It comes across to New Zealand where it gets sold to a New Zealander at a kind of premium. They have it for a couple of years. Then the battery life starts to die, so they throw it in the bin. That rubbish might get carted off to Nigeria and put in a poorly managed landfill where it could really hurt somebody. There is this recurring theme of wealthier countries exploiting poorer countries. And when it comes to chemicals and metals... A lot is at stake. That's quite right, and that's why we have the Basel Convention, which has tried to eliminate that sort of traffic. And uh, one example that we can see of the Basel Convention in operation is with China and its national sword policy of cutting off plastic bags and plastics going into China. And that was done under the Basel Convention. So we can have e-waste doing the same sort of thing. Now, what happens is that as soon as one country decides it's not going to accept the waste, then uh, other countries are approached and it tends to move around. And West Africa is um, those countries there, uh, ones that are quite um, keen to improve their economies. And one way is for them to deal with some of the waste from the uh, West. I asked Patrick Moynihan what he would do about the e-waste situation in New Zealand if he made up the rules. I would look to set up a governing body, like an association of types, and approach all of the people that currently have the export permits um, and ask them to sit to collaborate to, as to what the next steps are. I would forcibly, it sound like, like I'm a dictator, but <laughs> to, to, um, to, to um, introduce product stewardship on certain, certain items. And then I'd outright ban electronic waste from all landfills. And then you'd set up a fund to either do it in-house, encourage it within the government, or allocate it to an association or a few certain recyclers and help them to establish the primary processing facilities. We want to think about what is going to be the lifetime of this. Are we going to pay $1,500, $2,000 
for a device that's going to last two years and then we have to get a new one. What do we do with that at the end of its life? Yes, it's nice to walk around and have these flash devices and everybody goes ooh and ah, but it's like a bauble. It loses its shine very quickly. So we should be looking for longevity, not so much the, uh, the flashy look of it. That's the detail for today. I'm Emile Donovan. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by NZ On Air. Hit the subscribe button to stay across the detail every day. And if you're on Apple, please leave a rating as it helps other listeners find us. This episode was engineered by Adrian Holley and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Patrick Moynihan, Jeff Seedon and Garrett Chapman. Ka kite anō.